Hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce Odyssey podcast. I'm here with John Horn from the Stub Group, and we're going to talk about how to maximize Google Ads in the age of Performance Max. So over to you, John. First off, Performance Max has been a big change in Google recently. What is it? Yes, Trevor, thanks so much for having me on. Excited to talk about Performance Max and what uh, what that means, what this new platform or channel, I should say, means for e-commerce retailers specifically. Um, to kind of set the stage for Performance Max, you have to take a step back and look at shopping campaigns first. So, you know, high level overview, what is shopping campaign? It's where you search on Google, you see those ads come up for products. It's got the price, it's got the image, the name of the product. Those historically have been served on Google through what they called shopping campaigns. Back in the day, they used to, they used to be called shopping campaigns. Then they graduated to what Google called smart shopping campaigns, which was basically the, um, the early iteration of performance max campaigns. Really what it means is Google taking more and more control over how they show ads and when they show ads and what they bid for ads and using machine learning and automation to try to achieve a retailer's um, goals as effectively as possible. So with Performance Max, basically you're inputting to Google a couple of things. You're giving them your product feed from your website with your prices, your images, your names, et cetera. You're giving kind of your goal, what's your target uh, return on ROAS, for example, and your feeding it some audience information. Hey, here are people, if they're in market for this type of thing, that might be relevant to us. Or maybe here's a list of people who've purchased on our website. These are converters, things like that. And then Google goes forth and shows ads for your products across Google search, across Gmail and YouTube and Google display, basically all the different Google properties and uh, tries to hit your performance goals with those ads. Okay. So is it, it's a very automated system, is that right? It's very automated. Yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of levers you can control outside of the the data, kind of the audiences you you select as signals to Google. They actually call them signals, and then the creative, which is also a very important part of things of what ad copy and images you put into that campaign. Okay, so what do you think in terms of? I mean, how do you think the performance max campaigns? Because you've got different choices. You've got a performance max campaign, and I know that the, the, the smart shopper campaigns were being rolled into performance max, so they don't really exist anymore but you have the standard campaigns and then you've got more control with standard campaigns what would you recommend to people should they run just performance back campaigns or should they and, and or should they be looking at standard campaigns as well for most retailers at this point i would recommend i would not recommend the standard shopping campaigns i would say definitely regular search campaigns with text ads where that makes sense that's still a great a great platform to leverage and then in addition to that I'd go with Performance Max or, or Pmax as we've started to call it, because I've seen time and time again um, smart shopping and then now Performance Max significantly outperforming standard shopping campaigns and just just doing a better job of driving performance via the automated decisions it's making. And it's also a massive time saver. You know, gone are the days of spending hours and hours doing minute bid adjustments and shopping campaigns and segmenting it out to the wazoo. Really, when you let the system do most of that work, it does a better job typically and does it at scale in a way humans just can't really get to. So do you think, but do you think it, I mean, okay. So my experience with performance max campaigns is that, I mean, so, okay. With, with, with automated campaigns in general is sometimes you can do better with standard campaigns, but not really over the long term. So, you know, you get kind of peaks and drafts and, and I think that the performance max is, 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 is cause we, my retail company has moved to performance max. It's much more steady. But I think that it very much seems to you put in a target and it very much works the target. In my experience, it doesn't exceed that target. What's what's your experience? 
Yeah, I mean, so I'll say there's always an exception to every rule. So you'll definitely always be able to find op opportunities where manual beats, you know, beats automation. But kind of as a rule of thumb, these days, I'm usually seeing automation win those battles. And yeah, in terms of that you know, specific question, um, it's because it's it's automated, you really have to understand how does the automation work? You're giving it a number and it's trying to hit that number. So whereas a, a human managing a standard shopping cam campaign and maybe they set their, their target return on ad spend is 300%, but they're seeing five, 600. They're like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Actually, maybe I want to kind of keep letting, just keep the system where it is and let it drive those higher ROAS. Whereas with automation, all it knows is your goal is 300. That's what we're trying to achieve. And then, you know, spend as much, drive as much revenue as possible at that number. So I think typically with automation, you're going to see a little more of a, of a, you know, a, a close or less variation from what your goal is than you might see if the, if the human is driving things more okay. fully. Okay. So what do you think? Okay. So that's, you're relieving a lot of the levers. Uh, first, David, what, what are the levers that you actually still have with performance max and how do you maximize performance? Yeah, so the first lever is going to be the product data that you put into Performance Max via your product feed that goes into Google Merchant Center and then feeds into the Google Ads account. So we're talking titles. You can optimize your titles to be relevant to what people are searching for and to be you know, emotionally compelling or interesting. Uh, you can make sure that the product images you're using are optimized to perform well, to match what people are looking for and kind of pop on the page. Um, so the data you, you put into Performance Max is the biggest lever. Then you have some more levers when it comes to creative. So you can add additional assets like images and headlines and descriptions to your PMAX campaign for instances where it's going to display ads, let's say on YouTube or the display network, different places where it needs more content than just what's in the product feed. So you can get very creative, no, no pun intended with the assets and test different things and see what works well there. You can add videos as well to PMAX, which you should always do whenever possible because Google loves that video content and it gives you more options on YouTube. Um, and then you can also, another lever that you can control is the audience signals that you give to Google. So you're not, when I say audiences, for example, if you're selling umbre umbrellas and maybe there's an in-market audience for people trying to buy umbrellas, which there isn't because that's too specific of an example, but you know, as an idea, you can pick in-market audiences or demographics, things like that, and tell Google, hey, people who are in these audiences are generally the types of people that I want to see my ads. And same thing, you can add first-party data to Performance Max. You can upload lists of past purchasers or people who got to your cart, things like that. And all that data helps feed Google to see, okay, here are patterns and people who purchase or who get to this part of the conversion funnel. Let me try and find more people who match those patterns. And then really lastly, the lever that you can pull is that just that target of, of what are you asking Google to achieve in terms typically for e-commerce of target return on ad spend. And the higher the goal you have, the less aggressive Google can be. The lower it is, the more aggressive Google can be. And that's the main lever you can pull when you're trying to impact um, your profitability or the raw amount of sales that you're bringing in. Okay, so let's go, if we might just go through these one at a time, the titles, right? In yeah. terms of, is it, if you had a product, um, I might just take uh, this. Right here. This is a Brio uh, racing car. Right? Very cool. <laughs> it's all right. Um, <laughs> now, on our website, this is called the Brio Racing Car Red, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a succinct now. What and how much? I know that you can. I don't know what the character limit is on on Google Shopping, but should you have a different title for Google Shopping than you have on your um, on your website? And if so, what what should you? What length should it be? And what kind of information should be in it? 
very often you want a longer headline and a different headline. And there's there's really two aspects of the headline to consider. So I think there's um, yeah, there's, there's a much longer character limit as far as the total headline that you can have. And you often want to use up a lot of that. But you also have to realize only the first maybe 30, 35 characters are going to show up on the search engine results page. So you want the most important information about that product at the very beginning. So and what Google is the most important the, information about that product? Is it the brand? Is it the product name? It usually is. So it depends upon product awareness and how people search. So for example, if you're selling Nike products, well, Nike is an incredibly well-known brand. You'd want Nike near the beginning because you want people to know it's Nike and that's what people are searching for. If it's an unknown brand, you know, you're a new e-commerce business just getting out, brand probably doesn't matter as much. What's more important is what what is the product? Is it uh, like here in the States we have, they call matchbox cars. Well, on your website, you might not um, say matchbox car because maybe you've got matchboxcar.com. And so, you know, someone looking at the title on your website, they obviously know it's a matchbox car, but it, and you call it the, um, you know, the, the Thunderbird 5000. Maybe that's your product name. If you just say a Thunderbird 5000 in your Google shopping product title, Google's got no clue what that is. So you want to say, you know, matchbox car, Thunderbird 5000. And that's how Google's going to understand what search terms to trigger with your ad. And then again, it's going to look very relevant to people who see that title on the uh, on the page. What about product description? Descriptions, they're important. They're, they're far less important than the title because A, Google gives them much less weight in the algorithm of figuring out keywords. And then B, a lot of people aren't going to read the description before they click through to the website. Really, the only time they'll read the description is if they first click into the Google shopping page and start scrolling through that and then click to the website, which happens much less, much less often than people just clicking on the ad itself to get to the website from the, the main search page. So definitely you know, have a good description. Um, make sure your keywords are in there. Make sure it's formatted well, et cetera. But uh, when it comes to time investment, the title is a much more important place to spend time than the description. Okay. So what about the image? I'm guessing that needs to be, is it, would it be the image on the white background, um, presumably close cropped? Have you got any other advice? Yeah. Image is very important. There's, there's definitely just different best practices depending upon industry. You know, if it's, if it's um, apparel, for example, oftentimes people will test a picture with a model versus a picture without a model just to see what, what performs. Cause sometimes one does better over the other, a little more of a lifestyle versus just a, a white background, like you mentioned. Um, but really, you want it. You want the the picture to be very focused on just the product you're selling. You don't want background stuff. You don't want other component parts as a part of it. A Google will probably um, disapprove your image if you do that, and B it just doesn't perform as well. So you want it really you know, focused up. You want it um, high resolution. You know, no pixelation. You want it looking crisp and clean. And and you can test um, which you, know, you can test which images work well. And you know, do a couple of weeks with one, do a couple of weeks with the other, and and compare results, factor in other variables, and um, and testing is is key when it comes to that. Okay. What about product attributes? Because on the feed, there's a lot of different attributes. There's 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 obviously the ones we talked about. But there's also things like you know, the um, gender, size. How important is it to fill out this information? It's relatively important. The more you can give Google, the better. I, I like to say we want to make Google as happy as possible, and the more data you give Google the more Google knows about your product and the more likely Google is to feature your product when someone's either filtering by a specific size or gender on the shopping page, or they're including that in their search term. So the more the more the merrier when it comes okay. to attributes. What about so as audience signals as well? Now I found that um, we, we found that when we started uh, entering audience signals, our sales improved enormously. 
So yeah. what would you recommend? Have you got any best practice in terms of, of adding audience signals? Yeah, we, we try to add a lot of audience signals to our PMAX campaigns. Um, Google really finds that helpful, especially initially on for campaigns and figuring out what is relevant to, to your campaign because you know, you're not entering keywords into your campaign. There are no keywords in PMAX. So unlike a search campaign where you're telling Google, hey, target people who are searching for this. With PMAX, you're relying on the automation a lot to figure out what's relevant. So I'd, you know, I'd add in-market audiences. I'd add first, mark, uh, first, uh, you know, first party data, which again would be those email addresses or phone numbers you've collected from your customers. Um, I'd add you know, demographics. I wouldn't Demographics is probably, I think, less helpful than in-market audiences in first party, but um, really the more you can add, the better. And then also you can take a look at what are competitor websites and you can create an audience in PMAX of competitor websites and keywords related to that so that Google knows, oh, people who are going to these websites or searching for these websites are also very relevant to our website. Okay. So it's like a lookalike audience. Um... In some ways. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also about the assets. So now and the problem I have with the, you know, I've gone through credits and performance max campaigns, with the assets, um, it's hard to know. I find it hard to know what assets to create because I mean, I said I've got a retail side, it's got lots and lots of different brands. Should we be creating different asset groups for each brand? Or because the problem is you don't know how well those assets are actually performing yet. What would you recommend right. in terms of breaking down the, A, breaking down your your listing groups into different listing groups and then adding asset groups and then how would you know it's actually working yeah this is this is a million dollar question that i would say we're still we're still testing and figuring out um right now we are orienting more towards breaking out by breaking out asset groups by themes so for example if you've got a brand that sells let's say matchbox cars and umbrellas um, we're probably going to put those in two different asset groups because it's very different audiences and performance, and we can craft different headlines and upload different image assets. Um, so that's one way to do it. You can also, you know, segment performance. How max. would you, how would you break yeah. this? Would you use the Google recommended groups for that? Um, I would probably more use, you know, say custom labels in the feed to apply them to particular brand or category of products, and then use those custom labels and performance max to sort those products into a specific you know, asset group, and then um, run that often in the same campaign. Uh, we don't typically run a ton of different PMAX campaigns because Google does like keeping the data together in one place. And that's generally helpful, but I would usually within that campaign, break them out. And then if there are let's say significant different uh, profit margins per categories of product, that's where I'm more likely to break them out by campaign as well, because we might have different target row as targets for one brand versus the other. And that's really a yeah. campaign level setting. What I mean is if you've got, okay, so you've got your, your listing groups and you need to say, okay, I bet you can assign different, you know, you can break, you can segment your listing groups into different, different groups mm -hmm. and you can assign different asset groups to the different, different listing groups. How would you do that? Would you do that by brand, or are you saying you would do it by category? How would you? What would you? How would yeah. you divide mm -hmm. things into asset groups? Generally, I'd be, I would do it more by more by category. Um, again, depending on the retailer and what the breadth is of their products. But typically, I want to suit or I want to sort like products together. So, for example, we had a client; they sold a bunch of of outdoor related gear, and they had you know, hiking gear, they had um, kind of outdoor wear, they had things like that. And so we, we create different categories of, okay, people looking for hiking stuff. This is a category for that and, and so forth and so on. So would you, well, how would you work out, how would you 
create these categories? Because I know that Google has its own recommended kind of product groups. Would you use those recommended product groups or would you use the retailers product groups? I generally is more I'm more likely to use the retailers product groups. If if I agree with Google's recommendations, cool, let's go with that. But typically I'm going to do my own work in the feed of adding custom labels and figuring out what makes sense, what like products are together, and then doing it that way. Okay. Now how would you know that these asset groups, I mean, because you know, you you don't at the moment I don't think you can see performance by asset group. So how would you know that 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 it was worth putting this time to create all these different asset groups? That is an excellent question, and I don't have an awesome answer. It's it's definitely still uh, feeling along and and seeing just overall how things are performing overall. You know, ROAS from the campaign. I I do think that Google is going to give us a little more visibility at an asset level over time, just based on where I, I see them going and the fact that they do a little bit of that with let's say responsive search ads or or um, dynamic responsive ads with um, other types of campaigns, but. Right now, it's it's a fair amount of of trial and error. Okay, so what other okay? So performance max it claims to to advertise across a whole range of Google properties. So it claims to do shopping ads. It claims to do uh, dynamic search. So it claims to do text ads. It claims to do um, display ads. Right. I mean, I suppose right. the question is, how do you know that it's actually doing these things? Because you can never actually see it doing it. <laughs> um, and secondly, what other Google um, ad formats would you use to complement? performance max ads? Yeah, to that first question, there is only so much you can know, which which is frustrating to me as a marketer because I want to see everything. I want to know exactly what's working and what's not. And I, I do not like black boxes in marketing, but there's also the reality that- <laughs> You're unlucky. <laughs> Things are not going your way then. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there are, there are some advanced strategies that we're kind of playing around with right now that give you a little more insight than just what you see through the EUI. I'm not entirely sure if they're going to play out yet, but there's some, you know, via API, some things you can pull out potentially that we're kind of playing around with. And then um, separate from that, in terms of, of other types of campaigns to run, definitely still recommend running search campaigns, uh, which is still kind of the bread and butter of, of Google. Um, you can, you have more control over the text ad side of things and Google themselves recommends running search ads alongside of performance max because they, they kind of play Dynamic together. search well. ads or, or just ordinary keyword driven search ads? Often both. So dynamic search ads um, are a great fit for websites that have a ton of products and a ton of different pages to crawl and, and you know, very customized uh, content. So DSA can work well for that. Um, and we'll still usually, in addition to DSA for those campaigns, have regular uh, search campaigns with the most popular search terms or, or, or advertising the best-selling products, kind of doing the 80-20 rule. If it's a website that's not super built out, you have maybe one product line and it's pretty straightforward. Um, dynamic search ads aren't always great for those. And sometimes we see better performance just straight up, you know, regular search campaigns and really customizing those expanded text ads and the keywords you're targeting. What kind of split would you expect to get? So my experience really is shopping ads which sell consumer products. So what kind of split would you think would be a reasonable split if you're using Performance Max and using these other campaigns? I would, it's something that, that changes or varies a lot, definitely uh, by, by client. I would say probably benchmark, maybe 50-50 from what I'm seeing. And then some clients performance max is the vast majority. Some client search is actually spending more and getting more traffic than Pmax. Um, it really depends on A, what types of products are being sold, uh, B, the competitive landscape, how many other search ads versus image ads are coming up that are very competitive and similar to products that our clients are selling. 
and um, and also to some extent the history of the account because as with most uh, automation performance max campaigns you know take some time to really get up to speed and start scaling and so early on search might be outperforming them and then once they get up to speed they might take over from search okay cool so what do you think are the key metrics that people should be using to to benchmark their their performance Key metric should always, as in all advertising, be your bottom line of how are these campaigns driving bottom line uh, profit to you. And so the metrics that go into that, of course, are always going to be things like the cost per order, uh, the internal ad spend, the conversion rate on your website, which is going to dictate um, how aggressive Google can be because the higher your conversion rate is, the more aggressive Google can be at getting that traffic to you. Um, so those are the core metrics. The other metrics that are going to play into that, obviously, are, are click-through rate, which is a, a metric of how engaged are, or engaging are your ads, how compelling are they. Um, impression volume, obviously, gives you a sense for just how many eyeballs are getting on your, on your ads. And then very importantly, too, things like um, how much impression share are you losing due to budget and ad rank. Those are the big metrics that are going to tell you how much opportunity do you have to scale? You know, are you already close to maxing out the relevant traffic in your space or are you getting, you know, 10, 20% of that? And is there still a ton of room to increase beyond that? Okay. And so where do you, where do you see Google ads developing? Cause it seems to me that it is getting more automated. So but <laughs> are you going to be out of a job in a few years time? <laughs> that, um, yes. Uh, are you, do you see, how do you see the platform developing and your role within it? Absolutely. So what I what I like to tell my team a lot is um, back in the old days of Google Ads, you could kind of be a button pusher. It was very manual. There were lots of buttons to push, things to go up and down, and that played a big role in our jobs. Kind of the illusion Google, of control, as it were. Exactly that illusion, which uh, a lot of people you know, kind of lose that perceived control, kicking and screaming, and don't want to go into automation until they realize that, hey, the automation often is performing better than when we were spending 10 hours a day, you know, clicking these buttons. And you don't have to spend 10 hours a day clicking the buttons. Yeah. So really what I see is, is Google pushing towards automating as many of those kind of button pushing aspects as possible. But there are still those big strategic parts of the puzzle, which is where, you know, marketers, agencies like ourselves, in-house teams are going to need to focus more and more of their time. And that's where the value comes from. It's not, should the bid be 10 cents or 20 cents? It's, should we be on this platform? It's which of our products should we be advertising? What should we be saying about our products? Are we correctly tracking all of the conversion you know, revenue that we're driving from our website and correctly feeding that to the system so that the automation is working properly? Big picture things like that. And then monitoring the automation because automations can be really good. And then if it goes astray, it can be really good at spending a ton of money very quickly in a not profitable way. So you still have to have somebody monitoring it, knowing when other factors like seasonality or, you know, world events or things impact the automation and, um, and trying and capture the best of both worlds between the manual oversight and then the machine learning that takes care of a lot of those, those button pushing activities. Okay. So you don't see, I'm guessing Bing is still not something, Bing is just a tiny percentage of the market these days, isn't it? It's a small percentage. Depending on who you ask, it's maybe maybe 20% of the desktop market and, and very small part or percentage of the mobile market. Um, it's got enough traffic to where we generally do use it for a lot of our clients. Once we nail down Google and it's working well, we'll expand to Bing because there's additional incremental traffic you can get there. Um, but if you were just using Bing, it's not enough in and of itself for most advertisers to to drive a lot of revenue. Okay, great. 
So look, I've got a I've got a last question for you. As question yeah. is Wally, I like to ask a like a, a you know a question to really get into your psyche at the end. So what what are you nerdy about? What what books have you read? What have you done anything interesting recently you should you should tell the listeners about? <laughs> What am I nerdy about? So I am uh, a big, a big book reader. I love reading fiction. Um, I've, I have a soft spot in my heart for kind of the 19th century English authors. So oh, nice. love some good, <laughs> some good Dickens, so... some good um, Robert Louis Stevenson, all the, well, I would say kind of the, the classics of back then. Conrad? I have not run as, read as much Conrad, uh, full disclosure, but uh, but Dickens. Dickens okay, so well, the ones I find Conrad quite as anyone I find Dickens really hard to read, like almost impossible. I read Conrad. I've read a few of his books: The Heart of Darkness and The Secret Agent. Mm. Good mm. ones. What else? I find Dickens makes really good TV. Actually, he does. He's, he was kind of the um, the the soap of his era. The uh, the melodrama translates well into uh, you know long long form TV shows nowadays. What about Jane Austen or? or uh... Oh yeah, love some good Jane Austen. You know, you're not tempted to come over to the UK and do some kind of cosplay with, you know, turn up to <laughs> Bath and do some Regency Regency cosplay. You know, a little tempted here and there. I, I do love visiting <laughs> you guys in the UK. Um, have you been to the UK? Have you been to the UK? I have. I have a number of times. I love the. To, I love the history. Have you been to Bath? And I mean, that's I where not, they, not that is. Bath. Bath is beautiful, actually. Bath. That's where a lot of it. That's where a lot of it is. Um, because I was watching, there's a new Netflix uh, uh, Persuasion. There's a new Netflix film of that. And that's I, I saw that the other week. Yes, that's quite. Anyway, that's in that's in that's in Bath. So you should visit it. Great. Okay, John. Lovely speaking to you. Thanks very much for your insights on on Google Shopping. Absolutely, Trevor. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye bye.